Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Poddleters. I hope you're doing well. I'm sorry the episodes have been a bit more sporadic lately. I've had a few things going on, so it's been a bit behind, but I hope that you don't mind. In this week's episode, I speak to Christina Lopez. Christina is a neuroperformance coach living and working in Madrid. And I first met her about eight or nine years ago when I went traveling. And we reminisce about that in the episode as well. Her three things are learning how to heal and work with nature, forward slash speaking to nature, yoga, philosophy of yoga, and sort of how that can change the way that you see the world, as well as taxes and leverage on your own personal assets to create wealth, rather to be like an agent of a bigger corporation. So we discuss these three things. Um, I really love talking to Christina. I think she's such a lovely person and I really hope you enjoy listening. As always, please do rate, review and subscribe. Bye. Hello and welcome to Adulting. Today I'm joined by Christina Lopez. Hello everybody. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, For people who don't know who you are, could you give us an introduction to you and your work and just more about Christina? Absolutely. So um, I currently work right now as a neuroperformance specialist And it's quite interesting when I kind of break down how I got here within my life journey because I was previously living in London. I'm now based in Madrid, Spain, which is where I'm originally from. And I started my career actually in advertising after completing my degree in psychology. And after I basically did my first role within a creative agency, I then went through a very crazy shutdown of a business quite young when I was like 21 years old. So I then got headhunted by an investor who kind of took me under her wing. And she was this Canadian woman who basically wanted me to shadow her in how she invested in companies and help her build the concepts of very young businesses. And through that process, I then saw how you're able to grow brands and grow them out of nothing, but also find the resource that it takes to make something profitable. And that took me into the venture capital world for four years where I started investing in companies and I was coaching a lot of founders in the process, but also going through a deep spiritual journey myself when it comes to how much I wanted to, I guess, go deeper in my own tools when it came to leading a business for the first time and also having to really optimize you know, my lifestyle in the sense of knowing how to deal with building resilience and having to learn new things when I was very unaware of doing a lot of the things I was doing at that time because it was like the first time I was building my own company. So that was a very interesting process which then kind of brought me to realizing that I could build a model that could help other people which is how I got into the whole neuroscience of healing approach to help executives, but also first-time founders. So that's kind of me in a nutshell right now, Anoni. 
This is so exciting to be doing this because, so Christina and I, this is really interesting, we met, how many years ago would it be now? What year did we go there? 20, was it 2012? I think so. I remember I was must have been around 20 years old when we did the Ecuador trip. So yeah, almost a decade ago. Yeah. So we met because we, when I finished school, I did a gap year. And one of the things I did was I went to Ecuador and we taught at this school and Christina was on this trip. And I'm not, but how much younger, I think I'm like 18 months younger than you. But I remember when I first met you, I literally thought you were like the most incredible person I'd ever met because you've seen like your whole life, you had it together. You did talk about things I'd never heard anyone talking about. You're just really clever, really interesting. And even though it's, it's funny what you're doing now because I feel like you've always kind of been this person. You've always been quite mentory in the way that you are around people. You've got quite magnetic energy in that way. And you've also, it to me, always been quite spiritual anyway, even before this that you're doing now. Would you agree with that? You've always been quite spiritual. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting too when it comes down to like spirituality altogether because we really define that for ourselves. And I think at the time, like I've always just been very tuned in to what I was doing, you know, and yes. I think, I think that that was a connection. That's the way I've just always connected with the world, but I never really defined it as spirituality until I went deeper into just understanding the whole philosophy, you know, but thank you. That's a very beautiful thing to say. <laughs> but it's so funny because I've been really bad at, keep, at keeping up with Christina lately. And I literally thought, you know, and you almost, you like, like you said, you have this feeling about someone. I just remembered about you the other day and I was trying to message you. And I didn't even know that you'd left London. God knows where I've been. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I just really want to speak to her. And what you're doing now, I think is so fascinating. And it's so interesting to think about how like far we've come. Because that that Ecuador trip, for me, you were such a like instrumental part in me. Funnily enough, like starting to adult, I guess, you really gave me an insight into a different way of thinking about the world. You're very open-minded. And you've kind of always been like that. Um, and it's just so fascinating to look back at this point now. I, I guess we were kind of adults then, but we're like much more adult than, than we were. Um and see where that journey has taken us. I definitely feel like I can, I'm a completely different person. Do you feel, what do you feel like? Do you feel like so much has changed for you? Or do you feel like you've always been a bit of an old soul in some ways? I, I mean, looking back at where we were, when we were like kind of, I guess it was the beginning of our adulting um, lives, really. We were, we were so curious. We were so, and that was something that I think, connected us a lot we were both very curious beings and our conversations would always go off on a hundred million tangents when it came to all the questions that we had for the world so I think like generally that's that's been our guiding force throughout the last 10 years if I reflect on who I was then I was so keen to know more to learn more to experience more and I think when now although there's a lot of clarity I have in and how I want to serve in this world, I would stay, still say that my mindset is pretty much the same, you know, like of how much questions and how much I still value that evolution of life that I think is kind of innate in both of us, really, because that's something I remember being very deep about our connection, how we both really enjoyed just, you know, the adventure and the potential of what we could create. And I think that's very much defined in what we're both doing now because we both have our own personal brands. And now that you're focused on comedy and your book club and have this whole community around everything that you're creating, I definitely would say that many things and, and elements of who I was then still exist in me now. 
Yeah, I completely think it just, it's almost like it's all fitted together a bit more. And as I'm talking to you, I'm just thinking about how amazing that actually was because we were together with like, no, everyone had come on their own. There was a guy who's a teacher. There was this really tall American guy called Ben that I remember I used to really fancy. Dorothea. Who else was that? I can't remember, but it was, I do know what? I was like, I actually don't think I've done anything. Do you remember Sam? Oh, I forgot about Sam. And there was was some... There was one guy who went to Bolivia. I remember he told me he was that guy. He was the he was ginger. He always wore a hat, and we did the races with that. Remember? <gasps> oh yeah. What was he called? I can't really remember now. I can't remember, but I do remember Ben. He was quite the character. Yeah, <laughs> and but we it was just such an amazing experience because it was like such everyone was different ages, everyone's at different points in their life, and the people that ran the thing that we were working at, which now makes so much sense to me, but at the time I thought it was obscene. They'd both done really well in finance, and they'd been like really high up in some kind of like finance company, and then realized they were really disenfranchised, and they separately moved to Ecuador to like help out on some program and then ended up meeting each other in Ecuador and sort of like gave up the whole capitalist life and ended up living in this like really kind of salt of the earth way where they they lived in like a very modest home and like I remember the woman saying to me like I used to be like you and have loads of designer bags but one day you'll realize that doesn't mean anything and I remember thinking oh no she doesn't know what she's talking about <laughs> because I was like oh that is so true I remember she made a comment as well remember we went to the rainforest and we we spent like we were in this beautiful hostel where there was like two kids outside our bedroom and we literally had like the wildest adventure in the waterfalls and we just like we were literally in this paradise that was in the middle of nowhere that we like ventured out and I remember when I came back it was like my last night and she made a comment as well she was like um I got very emotional because I always cry when I have to like go into these speeches I'm getting a bit better at that now but I still get so moved I'm just like oh my god I'm so grateful for this experience <laughs> and she made this comment that was so that really stuck with me where she was like I really hope that there you're not just talking about the rainforest weekend that you've had because we'd obviously I'd been there a month or almost six weeks I think and we were there there was a lot that was about the kids and the programs that we were teaching and everything but I think she had a very big like miss maybe it was a little bit of self-projection where she didn't really get our vibe <laughs> or, yeah. what, you know, a, very much. I think there was like a little bit of a disconnect there because she did make quite a lot of these comments that were just a bit like, I don't know, it seems to be a little bit of a self-projection of of maybe who she was. Yeah, but I also think it's so funny looking back because I remember at the time being like, what is, I cause just couldn't understand because the world to me was like just about to open up. I'd never had like my own things and my own like, I don't know, the idea that she would have given all of that up. Like I would have, I would just loving doing it as like traveling and meeting new people and doing new things. Whereas now I actually could understand kind of at some point when you've had enough of the city, when you've had enough of like the grind that were feeling like actually just being in nature and living a really simple, modest life would be really desirable. But when you're 18, you're like, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I guess it's the timing. It's the cycles of everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but well, I'm sure we'll do some more reminiscing as we go along and we'll always remember more. But that leads us quite on, well, oh, on quite nicely to your first thing you wish you'd been taught in school, which was learning how to heal and work with nature and how to speak to nature. I don't know if I've learned how to do this truly. So can you talk me through what you mean by that and what you've learned about speaking with nature? Absolutely. Okay, so I've 
been I've always been very into like extreme outdoor sports when it comes to skiing and and mountain biking and just I'm not that much of a runner but I love to like explore the outdoors and go on hikes and explore new regions right now especially with the pandemic we've been doing a lot of very interesting um walks and weekend trips around Spain in quite like unknown places and it's been very interesting to like rediscover my my homeland in that way but it's what's made it and I've had quite a lot of experiences like this was actually one I had recently when I was um in Catalonia and I was staying at a friend's cabin and we were doing a little bit of like a work but also soul retreat doing activities in the mountains every day and he is quite extreme when it comes to sports and he decided to take me and I was with four other three other boys at the time up this mountain that was absolutely crazy because for someone who is not an an experienced mountain biker I literally had like one meter space and I was on the edge of a mountain and it kind of got to a point where I had to continue you could only continue going up you couldn't really stop and like reverse because that would actually be more dangerous it kind of you kind of have to go with the flow of the land when you you get to a certain point and I remember I was literally like having a little bit of a panic attack and I had a self-reflection moment where I was like what is it about this that's scary really like what's really scaring me and it just made me realize how the mountain is a lot more powerful than I am and that is when it kind of hit me because I've always like had this relationship where when I'm skiing I ask the mountain for protection I have this dialogue that I think create kind of intensifies the whole setting in many ways when you're just showing respect for what you're doing and where you're doing but you're also you know in it's like in in Peru when we were doing the the climb to Machu Picchu at one point which was a couple years ago I learned a lot too about the power of Pachamama the respect that you have for mother nature like she is everything she's a provider and you're a part of her so whenever I do these extreme and have these extreme experiences in nature too I start realizing how actually if I don't respect and honor her then there is no significance you know to what this is really about because it's not just about the action and the sport like there's a connection there's a dialogue that you need to read into that connects you a lot to that moment and when it comes to the dialogue with nature that's something that I found has helped me enjoy and also feel protected when I'm in certain situations that feel like that create fear in me in many ways but then when it comes to healing with nature that I think has become a whole new world where a lot of different people come into my life and introduce new tools, like working with essential oils and have taught me new ways of just connecting deeper with how you can use nature in your day to day and finding your balance. And it's really amazing when you go into that whole world of, you know, how nature is speaking to you and all the elements that exist that we're not traditionally taught in school that I think are so beneficial, like working with plants and understanding the plant medicine and botanicals, but also the language that happens within ecosystems on their on its own. It's like a world that's endless, you know, it's, it's ongoing and it's just so beautiful. And once you tap into it, I feel like you just can't stop. It just becomes never ending. You just get so it's, it's so beautiful because it's so, so much part of who we are, you know? You've always been to me someone that's been very like open-minded and also very present. I even can remember when I first met you, you'd, 
you'd talk to me about like sexuality or something. And I remember being like 18, like, wow, this girl's so interesting. Like she just doesn't, she just says anything and like does has no guard around certain <laughs> things. But when it comes to nature, I feel like a massive blocker for people is they're going to feel like, well, I'm going to feel really stupid if I say like, mountain, will you protect me? Did you ever have, did you have to overcome any sense of self-consciousness in feeling like you could have this relationship with mother nature or have you always been that open-minded to that sort of holistic approach to life? What do you think? Because I think that's the barrier for lots of people when it comes to things like this. It feels too alien to us. Yeah, I mean, a complete respect for certain people that might think this is absolutely ridiculous thing to do. And, but I do think like there's more to it because there's a dialogue that already exists when you think about like how we're already part of the earth, you know, like everything that we're made up of is on a cellular level is part of what's in nature and so really you're just talking to yourself and if you mm. think about it like this is not something you need to preach you're just like think of all the internal dialogues that we have where we're just you know having the most outrageous conversations and thoughts like it's kind of something that you can keep to your own I'm not really preaching for everyone to like start going out in the streets and talking to all the trees just being like hey <laughs> you know that there's just there's a beauty to like uh, acknowledging I think like what exists around you and more than anything it can be like an internal practice but the real tool here is just to acknowledge what nature can give you like obviously that like it's so personal to what excites everyone like the other day I, I have a, a friend of mine who came to visit me and he is a fanatic of trees he knows every tree type and and how they and their cycles of life and everything and I just thought it was so beautiful because when he's like exploring the world he just you know he has this relationship and appreciation for every single type of tree and he knows every single type of tree and I just thought it was so beautiful to meet someone that had that hobby and that curiosity and it's just pretty much like it could exist on so many different levels. Like some people have it with flowers. Some people have it with cactuses or cacti. <laughs> and some people have it with, um, I mean, and herbs, you know, as well when it comes to cooking. So I think it naturally exists in quite a lot of people. And if you just explore it and take it a next level in, you could really develop this beautiful, like, sense of just, you know, going deeper with it so it can take you somewhere else as well I think it definitely comes from that idea of being present I remember when I went to Japan a few years ago for a work trip and we went to this forest that had these like ridiculously tall trees and you know sometimes nature sort of like takes your breath away and you realize how small you are and then it sort of like smacks you in the face how like incredible the world is but even if you're not normally if you're someone that's quite not present in those situations sometimes you can't avoid it like it, I also think the same thing kind of happened when I went to the Blue Mountains in Australia there's certain landscapes or certain things that you see where like you said you kind of realize how powerful they are and, and no matter who you are what your frame of mind is you're kind of rocked in that moment and I feel like you're right if you could learn to appreciate that even like watching the rain or like watching the trees swaying I feel like it does happen a bit more as you get older where you kind of start to, all the things that were really boring when you were little, like my mum would be like, oh, just look out the window at the flowers, whatever. And now I'm like, oh, I love it. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's it's something that we've become, like that. that's why I feel like if we were taught it and are able to see it as a dialogue, as an extension, it doesn't look like a forced activity. Because I remember too, like my mother, like being a yogi would always be like, you know, pay, like look at nature and take it in. And at the time I 
didn't quite understand what she meant. And now I think like we've evolved to really appreciate that, especially now that like our whole lifestyles are changing in the sense that, you know, we're, we're wanting to spend more time outdoors. We're appreciating what nature can give us from this whole pandemic that we're living that's made us really appreciate what, what, we are, what we are able to do and we're able to be active and connected to what's out there, you know, beyond what we had before and how we had that connection before. I think that's definitely given us a new awareness in itself but I do feel like we never were taught exactly like what the tool of nature could be. And I think in many cultures it exists, in many indigenous cultures, and in, and it, they have this whole like understanding of how nature is the protector and the provider. And I just think in, in certain cultures in, in Europe, for example, that's something that's not really part of what we've inherited. But I think if we were able to bring that back, it'd be such a beautiful tool to give our kids, you know, just like, you know, sit by a tree and let her ground you and let her give you that sense of peace and let her show you like and give you that guidance without you having to consciously force yourself to come up with a solution. You know, little things like that where it's like, OK, you have that safe space and it's right there. I agree. I think I think especially in our culture, like the way we're brought up, it's so there's so much dissociation. Like everything is kind of about the new age technology, or like mm. it, it's just there's no real sense of importance for nature in that way. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like I remember reading or listening to someone talking about how a photographer, maybe from like National Geographic or something, had gone and visited a certain tribe and they were talking about the weather and there was this woman and she's like, no, it's definitely going to rain today at 3 p.m. And the, all the crew were kind of like, well, it's not because the weather thing doesn't say that. And then lo and behold, at 3 p.m. it started raining. And then the next day they went back and she was like, oh, this is going to happen. And they were like, they just know the land so well that she can touch the soil, look at the sky touch a leaf whatever and she knows exactly what's going to happen with the weather better than any of our kind of like technological weather reading map things could ever do and it's exactly what you said it's just that we've become so dis disconnected from nature and I, I that's something that I actually really need to tap into and do but again I think that I've got that maybe it's like a British self-consciousness and a lack of openness to, to certain things that I forget to like try and I love that what you just said about sitting with a tree it makes me feel bad for the times that I like go on my phone when I could just like you say just sit and be with nature yeah I mean I guess it's like the simplistic like the simple oasis that we can build for ourselves that sometimes we feel we need to you know go on a trip or go on a retreat when really like there's such a grounding presence already around us that we're not all tuned into and I think once you develop that awareness of what it can give us you find that like it's it's actually a lot more simpler when you when you see it as an extension of who we are instead of it being you know just part of our surrounding and that's why mm. I think it like your practice deepens with it and there's actually a book I can recommend if you do want to like learn about the nature signs it's, it's a book I started reading um quite recently it's called the lost art of reading nature science and it's written by a uk he's actually british and he's like a, a natural navigator so oh, wow. he gives you the tools on knowing how to like interpret wildlife and tracking and reading the hills and how like what the mountains can dictate but also like you said with the weather and how certain like sort the, the how the texture of the soil and everything all plays a role in showing you how nature um 
is speaking to you to give you to basically be able to predict what's coming but also see what's happened because if you think about it, it's all storytelling you know when you start reading into it so you mentioned briefly I've just written that book down I'm definitely gonna read that but you mentioned briefly before that your mum was a yogi and I came to know you as a dancer um mm. and you were always loving movement from from the first time I've met you and you said that you really wish that yoga and the philosophy of yoga was taught in school as your second thing which I think kind of this also ties into the thing you said before which is a very kind of like spiritual present way of being do you think that you like your parents kind of brought you up a bit like this anyway and then you've kind of further deepened that understanding or have you come to this more on your own as you've got older I think I mean with yoga my mother's definitely been the main introducer of that practice into my life but I was quite young when she was at like her peak in teaching now she's teaching but obviously a lot less um, considering the circumstances it's more for like her herself where she's like deepening her practice but when I first got introduced to yoga I kind of rejected it and there's actually um in the sense that I didn't really understand it and then when I saw how a lot more people around me were finding this beauty in it I got more curious to try out new styles of yoga because a beautiful thing about it and I think like when you first asked me the question it was more of like the philosophy because a lot of people mistake it as as a movement practice when it's actually the art of breath and the art of like ultimate source connection and it's one of like it's one of the most prehistoric languages that we have when it comes to the mind body condition so when I was in London I actually went to like all the tri yoga workshops um, there and in a different, there was a Marylebone studio right now that I cannot remember where I was, that I used to go to a lot. That was also incredible. Um, but I would learn and I would do Ashtanga. I would do a Yingar. I did Scaravelli yoga, which is part of elongating the spine. And I got introduced to this whole new world of how you're able to connect with moving your bodies and your body in new ways, but also finding that breathing connection, whether you're just like moving a muscle or whether you're just doing a slight, you know, restorative pose it's incredible how like when you find that connection with yoga you it transforms you it transforms the whole way of how you read your body and how you can tune in with like the cues of what your body is trying to tell you and that's when I found this whole awakening with it you know but it kind of was part of my own curiosity that led me there my mother played a role in introducing it to me but I wouldn't say it's because of her that I deepened my practice necessarily there is actually there was one class I did with I believe you know her too because I remember you you posted a couple photos with her but Shauna Virtue I went to one of her workshops she did a class I think with a charity she was um doing a charity event in London at the Google offices and this was quite a long time ago I would say like I was probably it was a couple years after I met you and I remember you were still you were still at uni. And at that time, I was working at my first position and I went there. And that she through that workshop, she was so good at reinforcing the breathing connection that that's when I left and felt that bliss. When you get out of a class and you're like, wow, like, I think I've understood, you know, the purpose totally. of this practice. Shona is incredible. Um, yeah, I love her. She really She's is. so good. But I had the same experience. I'd never done the, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but Ujjayi, how do you say, is it Ujjayi breathing? Ocean breath, yeah. 
And I hadn't done that before because I think a lot of the yoga class I went to, they kind of sold to you, like you said, like movement. It was about exercise. It's like getting it out and like kind of do the workout. And when I first had like a yoga instructor that taught us how to do the breathing and was really hot on the breathing and then it becomes like, and also that it, not that it's painful, but it, it's a lot more kind of like skilled and still and controlled um, in like a full sensory way. Like exactly what you're saying, where it's almost like mm. you're kind of meditating by by proxy of the fact that you're like trying to breathe and do everything at the same time, that your mind just kind of empties. And I'd never really had that before. And then it definitely does feel, oh, I need to do it more, but it does become, like you say, more of a practice and something that has a different meaning than if you were just going to go to the gym and do like a workout for the sake of getting sweaty or something. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like it just creates more of an intention, you know, of like why you're doing what you're doing and knowing the benefits, which like there's no right or wrong with it either because a lot of people just do yoga for the physical benefits and like just to have that movement like integrated in their routine, which is absolutely fine. You know, there's no right or wrong way when it comes to how you embrace yoga. But that's why I think if we were taught the philosophy of how it also can be a healing tool for us, it could be really powerful. You know, like I definitely want to be able to introduce that whole philosophy of understanding the mind body to my kids beyond it just being about a downward dog and a sequence. But everyone responds in different ways, you know, depending on what, what their level of awareness is as well. So it is very personal. So I'm interested to know more about your coaching and how all of this comes into play. Because I think I can remember when you first got that first job. Was it with Xbox or something? X, well, Xbox was actually one of our clients, but was it was a company called Engine Group. I think I remember, because I remember you doing something, it was years ago, it's like probably maybe one of the last times I saw you and you were talking about it and it was so interesting to me because we were talking about how advertising is so tied into psychology and how like people's brains. And so mm. even back then, this bubbling idea of like neuroplasticity and I guess the stuff you're working in now, you were already kind of talking about it and doing it, even though at that point in time, you were actually working in something which looked slightly different from what you're doing now. So how has that evolved? And I'd love to know how you're putting all of these things, whether it's the yoga, whether it's the spirituality or the, the nature, how do you add that into the work that you're doing now? And, and how does that kind of change the shape of what that kind of role would have normally looked like, I guess, in a more traditional way of being applied? I would say, I mean, I guess when I first started, a lot of it was about understanding like the universal truth of you know, why we do what we do. And that that's a very big part of advertising. Like you're, you're in trying to inspire, you're trying to educate, but at the same time, you're trying to understand like what people care about. And I think that's also the beauty of like the digital world right now. Like for me, social media has become such a cultural tool and how we understand so many things. And when I first started my coaching business, it was kind of like a bold like pivot because I was working in a way in finance, but investing in companies that wanted to basically reinvent industries for the better. So it was very technological focused, but obviously a lot of it, sorry, I'm losing my voice right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of companies that we were looking into that were very interesting in the sense of how they were trying to solve really big problems across many different sectors. And when I started doing my coaching, 
I basically just wanted to focus more on the human level beyond it being about concepts and businesses and having to necessarily make it about an external service or product. Because I started realizing how there was a very big disconnect too. And a lot of like these innovators, they had such high pressure, like routines and it was very difficult to do what they were doing. I had a lot of respect for founders and I still do because to build and manage your own business, whether you're an influencer or have your own startup or ready at mid stage, like there's such an emotional like roller coaster that goes with that. And for me, I wanted to play a different role in how I was helping basically founders build their businesses to really like go deep with the internal work as well. And it was just something that was making me feel very disconnected to the work I was doing. So like you said, there was a very big connection between everything because although it went from advertising to venture capital to then leadership development in a way, everything was focused on the psychological foundation of what we need to feel connected and what tools we can apply to achieve that successfully but also to take full like authority because you know at the end of the day I did study psychology and neuroscience at university but I didn't go into clinical psychology for the purpose that I felt like it created a codependency and one one thing I love about coaching as an industry and I, there's a lot of there's many different types of coaches now and obviously anybody can get into the field of coaching when it comes to getting your certifications and there's endless courses but I think one thing that's very powerful is like right now in particular there's so many different niches so you can hire coaches now for imposter syndrome or for mastering your heart trauma or going deep with family constellations or going deep with um essential oils you know and there's all these different guides that I think can help so many different types of people and create these experiences that kind of allow you to take what you want from it and obviously in traditional therapy you can do the same thing but it's structured in a way where I sometimes feel like when you're doing like traditional psychology techniques and psycho um, psychoanalysis and even like medication in certain ways, there's always a codependency in the traditional world, which I know still helps a lot of people. But that's why I think coaching now is creating a whole new opportunity for us to take more authority of our own healing processes. And right now, a big focus for me is basically to help um, contribute in my own way through what I'm learning and what I'm being taught as well from the guides that I work with and continue delivering my programs to clients who are attracted to my work and committed to doing it for themselves because more than anything it's all about teaching you how to become your own self-healer. I, I love that description and also think it's so interesting that it's like it's becoming people now are becoming more and more open to having coaches because it's interesting how people are so open to having like personal trainers to like coach your body mm. but coaching your mind maybe 10 years ago wouldn't have been quite as like not commonplace but what's the word like not trendy either it's just people are more open to this idea that mentorship or coaching can be really transformative and that it's a really positive thing rather than thinking like oh god I, I don't need a coach like there's always so much more that we can learn about ourselves and our brain um and like I'm really interested in this idea of like like your neuroperformance like the, the 
and neuroelasticity, which is something that like Shona Virtue was talking about a bit as well. But just this idea that there was so many like nooks and crannies of our brains that we don't exercise, that we don't have access to, or that we have blocks on. And you can actually work with someone who can open, like free up that space basically in order for you to be able to achieve and do more. Have I butchered that or would you, is that kind of right? No, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, like the brain, we can always train to create new neural pathways of connections that allow us to just improve our cognitive capacity. But a lot of the work that I do is very much focused on the subconscious because a lot of the time we're very limited by our subconscious beliefs and blocks that we pick up from our life experience. And I think when we're able to, to be aware of what we're holding on to and the patterns in our behaviors and actions that we know are limiting our growth, that's where the root of the work has to begin. So beyond just it being about, you know, the the movement-based techniques, because a lot of it is very much related to movement and breath, a lot of neuroperformance work like is basically rooted in in our understanding of the conscious and subconscious dialogue. Because a lot of the time too, we're we're thinking many things, but then there's a there's a root that underlies a lot of the motives that we that we create and a lot of the stories and narratives that we hold on to as well. So it's really interesting that by working in this way, how you can unravel so much of what isn't true. And that essentially is what helps you create new understandings on a thought level because you're challenging your old storylines to create new ones. Do you Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Do you find a pattern with your clients or like, is there anything, the people that you tend to work with that you see comes up more and more again? Like you, I think you mentioned earlier imposter syndrome, but I would imagine that that's something that holds a lot of people back. That's a self-limiting belief that means, you know, you can never go for it because you feel like you're not good enough. What are the kind of most common things that people sort of come to you to deal with or to unravel? Good question. Um, It's quite difficult to pinpoint that because I create personalized programs are usually six weeks long and they ultimately it's to heal physical and emotional blocks, but that exists on so many different levels. But the majority of my clients right now are are mostly women. A lot of them are very entrepreneurial and Mm -hmm. they're very just committed to like being like authoritative in their own healing process. So I think what attracts people to my work, and I don't do that much marketing when it comes to the clients that I serve. A lot of them find me through word of mouth or get recommended through the teachers I've worked with who are also guides in themselves, but they're like part of this community who like host retreats all over the world. And um, they kind of like all serve their, their following in a way, but at the same time, a lot of them aren't even on social media. You know, they, they don't follow the traditional model of how they um, attract clients because a lot of coaches right now, like you see it quite a lot on Instagram. Like there's, there's, a, there's definitely like a trend and all the content looks the same. Mm. And, and some of them in, in how they're like basically marketing their message, 
but they're still appealing to their audience. But there's a certain like lack of authenticity, I think, in like the modern age healing approach when it comes to the content driven model. And a lot of the people I work with don't actually um, push that because they know that there's this whole energetic transaction that comes with knowing who you're supposed to serve and who you're not supposed to serve. And I think what's very interesting is when you're aware of and completely and understand who your target client is. And for me, it's mostly people who are committed to helping themselves, you know, so I I don't really restrict it or have this certain profile in mind. But a lot of who I attract are women who were like me three years ago, you know, like, they're women who I connect to because we've shared similar journeys and they're looking to overcome things that I might have already overcome. But at the same time, it also doesn't have to be that personal because I'm a facilitator. You know, I've been trained to be a guide. It's not about me imposing anything of my life experience on anybody else. It's more just like I can help you and teach you with these tools that apply to your particular context of whatever it is that you want to overcome. And that's how it works because a lot of the time too, there's there's this issue in, in the coaching world where it becomes too personal, you know? And that's when you have to be careful as well with like the people who um, who you work with and how they make you feel and whether you have this like feeling of safety when you're around them and able to embrace your vulnerability fully because there that is something I've identified when it comes to even in the spiritual world, the spiritual ego that can play a very big role in how people teach and they teach from a place that isn't necessarily fully open. So interesting. It makes me want to come to you for, for coaching. <laughs> I, but you you do have, a, there is something about you even before, like now I'm much more open to talk about energies and thinking about spirituality and stuff. But when I was younger, I kind of would be a bit I guess quite close-minded about those things but when when I met you you were one of the first people that I was like wow there's something there is you have like got an aura and there is something about you that's really non-judgmental and very kind and like you said very inquisitive and so I do think I do believe now through meeting people like you and as I've got older I've got more open-minded about those things but you do have something about you which is like very pure in a which is a weird is that a weird word I'm just trying to think of the right phrase thank you my love (laughs) thank you but so it makes sense to me that people that you know seek you out would would find you if that makes sense yeah I mean more than anything it's just like it's very interesting too on how my like how they come into my life and how I come into theirs like there's this timing with it too that I sometimes find absolutely incredible of how like certain things happen and a a lot of what's very interesting too is recently I've been actually coaching a lot of my very good friends and at first I never thought I would do that but they've come to me asking to learn and at first I was like should I like allow this into my like should I uh, play this role in my inner circle is this something that I want to do but I've actually realized that it's a beautiful way to help you know the people that I care about the most and in my training even they said like be very careful about whether you when it comes to friends and family because you don't want to play this role constantly with the people that you care about the most. And I took that in, but then I started realizing how, you know, if really close friends of mine and people who I love want to go deeper with this journey, why not? You know, at the end of the day, it's got nothing to do with me. It's just got to do with what I can show them through the learnings, through the practice, through the teachings. 
And at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's an exchange of information and you holding space for wherever someone is at at that moment. And I think that's actually a beautiful thing. I agree. I think but I completely understand why you'd have to be cautious. I guess it's like anything. Um, but yeah, I think if you're in the position where you don't think it's going to, it's not going to be harmful, then I definitely think that's such a nice thing to go through with your friends. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So the third thing that you spoke about, which I think is really interesting, um, is learning about how to be a smart investor rather than like a corporate agent. So learning how to create your own life, be an entrepreneur, do something on your own terms, I guess. And I, I agree. I think that it's becoming more and more common, like commonplace, I guess, with the advent of social media, with this ability to sort of like self-create a brand and monetize. But it definitely wasn't something that I ever knew when I was in school I could have ended up doing. Did you have, do you think you've always had a vision of wanting to work on your own terms and do your own thing? Or did it feel more accidental than planned? Um, I guess I didn't really know until I started working and I started seeing this whole like disconnect. I had really bad bosses, like in all my jobs, which was actually a blessing because it taught me a lot about how to show up for myself in situations where I would seek, where I'd be seeking guidance, you know? So I became very like self-sufficient in many ways when it came to how I create and how I want to, you know, put myself out there in different companies like especially when I was in like doing my internships and stuff when I was a teenager and all of these things because I was always working like from the age of 14 I had all types of jobs and that started it suddenly made sense to me that like you know at the end of the day and it was the same thing I guess with the whole coaching focus as well of like I really hated the idea of being codependent and I guess after working and seeing how you can be managed by other people and how that can restrict you in certain ways, but also at the same time help you and enable you in many others. Because I know also like people that have had really positive experiences with their management and, you know, in many ways they've had the mentors that they've needed to help them work up through their roles in certain industries. But then there's this, there's still that codependency that plays a role in them not feeling free on a soul level. So I think for me, like that point came up because smart investor in the sense of knowing how to manage what you have and leverage off that on like when it comes to your personality and your character. But I also think like what I meant by that too is like if we were able to learn the what would make something sustainable for the long term beyond just working for these industries and, you know, we were basically trained to go into this working system, which is why the majority of people choose finance because they associate that with stability. But then there's also so many other creative industries that are now completely booming. And now with technology as well, like the whole frenzy of innovation that gives you opportunities to create and be part of something bigger is attracting a lot of our generation too. So I think like for me, the main purpose of of that response was to just be smart in how we invest our time, energy, and money. So we're able to really, you know, build something sustainable for ourselves that goes beyond what we think we're supposed to do and not necessarily rush into like owning houses and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of trying to tick off all the boxes that comes with, okay, so now I've had the job and now I have the business and then I have the husband and then I have the house. It's like, how can we build personal portfolios 
of like, that's going to give us ultimate freedom. Because at the end of the day, there's still that mentality of like, okay, we associate these things with freedom, but we're still tying ourselves down. And it doesn't in the long term become this, you know, expansive way of living and investing, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. And it's so interesting you said about buying a house because it's a conversation that I've been having with Matt recently a lot where I'm like, I just don't feel Mm. the need to buy a house. I get this pull to do it because lots of our friends have either bought or people are starting to buy and suddenly you feel like, oh God, I should really like think about saving up for a house. But really, yeah, investment wise, it's never, it's never really the best investment now anyway, if you're looking at it from just like a monetary point of view, but also the idea of buying a house, I kind of am like, I don't know why I need that, why that would help me in my in my place, in my life right now. But um, I was just thinking as you were talking how it's so interesting that all of this sort of like bleeds into each other because I think in order to be, to take the leap to do something entrepreneurial, you kind of have to have enough self-belief and self-motivation to think that you can go and do it on your own, which comes from having, I guess, dealt with a lot of those self-limiting factors. And I was thinking about how I always used to think when I used to see you, because you had, you went to uni in the UK but you have friends from all over Europe and you'd always be seeing people in different places and I used to love how kind of like nomadic you were and you would be like oh I'm gonna go see and -and so-and-so in this place and you're so good at meeting people and you've always been very good at creating connections um and I just always found that fascinating to watch how you kind of could just be so free like free exactly like you said and it's such an incredible trait to have and I wonder if part of that is because you had lots of friends from different countries and so you were given I don't know no do, I don't know if that's do you think that's just who you are as a person you've always been like that I think it definitely comes from being like internationalized my upbringing because at the end of the day my mother's Bolivian Dutch my father's Spanish and German so like I've always felt culture like I was a woman of the world like I never know how to define when people ask me where I'm from I've never been attached to one particular city, even though I was mostly raised in London, but London in itself was a very international place, you know? So in many ways, like I always had this like cultural um, diversity in me that I think made me so curious to connect with other cultures. And that's definitely played a very big role, I think, in in why I want to see the world and connect with so many different types of people just so I could learn more about what's out there and what exists, you know? And I think that self-belief aspect too, of like being able to create these opportunities for yourself. Um, in many ways, like the more you see, like the, the ways that you see people live can, and the more you travel, I think open up your mind to the potential beyond what you see around you and what you see your inner circle doing in certain city-like cultures because that's actually a big reason why I left London in the first place as well was because it all started feeling a little bit too repetitive you know there was a huge focus on like how much like how much people were working and every dinner and social interaction I would have would always be focused around what are you working on? What are you doing? And we would spend most of the time just talking about work. And then when I came to Madrid and I wasn't even aware of it at the time, cause like it was more of like when I self, when I reflected on the lifestyle and culture coming to Madrid, I started seeing the huge shift in how here everyone's just talking about life, you know, like where they want to go, where they've been, what they're living through right now. And it just became a lot more like I started seeing the big contrast of what 
I came from in London and it was a mentality I also was a very like that was a very big part of me like I was very much like my self-worth was very associated to what I do and it took me quite a while to break that down because here when I started building this coaching business obviously it was taking me and it it does take a long time to be able to get to that place where you know, suddenly all your programs are where you want them to be and your client flow and everything. So a lot of the time I had to surrender and understand that like, actually what I'm doing is creating and I'm the creator of my own reality. And this has nothing to do about how hard I'm working or what my job is. It's more about what I feel like doing so I can serve from the most authentic place possible. And I think that was something that London was kind of overwhelming me in that sense, because everything became about the external validation in many ways, but it was very subconscious. But I started seeing it all around me. And I still do when I speak and call my girls from London, like the first thing they want to talk about is always work. It's so funny you say that because I feel the same. And I'm, I've actually been talking about this with my friends as well. And I think the pandemic for me, especially, I lost like huge chunks of things that I would normally do like for instance my like in-person events and my book clubs and comedy mm. and live podcast events and those arms of my work I love the most because I love being around people and suddenly my work got reduced down to just Instagram and that for a bit made me feel really down because I was literally attributing my whole self to being an Instagrammer and I couldn't work out why I was feeling so shitty when nothing mm. was going wrong and I felt really really lucky really grateful like I was in one of the best positions in a pandemic like I was living with my boyfriend I was happy I still was working but for some reason, I was just so low. And I realized it's because I was doing exactly what you said. I tied all of my identity into my work. And then my work wasn't serving me because I couldn't do it in the same way as normal. And I couldn't figure out who I was beyond the work that I was doing, which I didn't think was good enough or fulfilling enough or like representative of who I am. And I'm still trying to come out the other side of that, of being like, like working in a creative industry, your hours aren't nine till five. Like sometimes I might work back to back all week, literally not have a minute off. And then there might be other times when I will only have to do like 15 hours a week and that's it. And then in those down times, I will like find things to do to work, to make feel like my time is valuable because I feel so guilty. If I have like a spare three hours, I feel like I need to fill it rather than mm. enjoy it. And I definitely think that is a London thing, but I also just think it's, it's interesting. I'd, I'd love to come to Madrid and, and like feel that cultural difference because mm. London does start to feel very small as well. After a while, I think it feels like it's the grind and it's drinking and it's going out and there's not much nature <laughs> and there's not much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely, it's interesting you said that because that's kind of, I'm trying to go through that at the minute myself and figure out what does what does living mean beyond working, creating inverted commas success? I haven't really found the but answer. It's also, it's also very, there's something, um, there's something very, um, that I've also cut out from my vocabulary altogether. And it's to define my life as busy because I think busy as a word and as a state of being is always associated with chaos. Like, and people like to overuse it. So it's like, oh my God, I'm so busy. I have so much going on. It's like you, and I feel like when people use it, they're, they don't realize it, but they're acting very much out of control of their time. And when I have what you just explained, let's say if I have three hours free, I don't see that as time that I'm not using wisely because that's time that you can then focus on doing the internal work or maybe, you know, setting up a routine where, you might be able to do a longer movement practice 
or maybe chores and life admin that you've been letting go of for a while. So all of these things, I think like at the end of the day, that time, if you give it purpose, then it's got nothing to do with you being unproductive. But I think, and I went through this myself as well, where I would feel unproductive if I wasn't completely back to back. And that Mm. came from the London mentality because I was used to always being on the go. And although I was like enjoying everything I was doing, when I had to slow down to really build this business that I'm now running and build it from a place of my truth, I had to stop. And the pandemic, I think that's also caused a lot of resistance has also, you know, the world has never stopped before either. And I think that's also taught a lot of people to like tune in to why they're doing what they're doing. And I see like huge shifts now in what people define as their purpose in that process, because there's, and I did a, a podcast on this recently as well um, with a friend of mine who asked me a similar question on, you know, people are working from home and they suddenly start realizing that they don't like what they're doing. They just liked the routine of it. They liked being in the office and being with their colleagues. But when it comes down to how they're serving through their work, it has no meaning. And when you're on your own and having to do that for a prolonged period of time, you start realizing how actually, how I'm really dedicating my time into serving this world isn't really there for me anymore you know and that's happened to quite a lot of people in my circle I'm so fascinated by what you said about the busy things this is another thing that I've um really kind of jostled with in that like I feel like I have to be busy to be worthy but not just with Mm. work like with social calendars like I sometimes I don't want to go out on a Friday night but I feel like I'll have a great time when I'm out with my friends but I feel like I've somehow I'm not doing it right if I'm not out like four days of the week socializing also that is partly because we've obviously had a backlog of not hanging out with people because of the pandemic but this busyness thing has been something that's really and it didn't used to get to me but it's something that's I feel a lot of like shame around it if I'm not so in need if I'm not so like my diary is so blocked out I couldn't even fit in a coffee that's kind of like I want to be that busy and yet if I was that busy I'm sure it would feel like hell but there's definitely like a currency or there's some kind of like it's seen as a really positive thing like you said but it's actually that's the perfect way of putting it. You're just not being good with your time. But it's weird that it's become such a badge of honor. And it's definitely a British cultural thing. And it's definitely more centered in London. But because I'm in London right now. it's very American as well. It's very American in the sense too of like productivity is work. And busyness is productivity. And I think like more than anything, like you can still have a lot going on. But I think it's it's how we use the vocabulary around what we're doing. So like the way I rephrase it, because I do have like cycles too, especially right now where there is a lot of things happening. There's a lot of things I need to focus my attention on. So by just focus out, I build the momentum on the excitement, not around the time, like, how do I say this? Not around the the momentum of like having too much you know, so it's mm. not like excess things to do, but it's more of like, I'm so excited that I have this many projects right now that I need to channel my energy into. So you're creating like a new tone around it instead of it being about, I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to see this. And I'm, because then when you start thinking about why you want that momentum, it doesn't actually feel that good, you know, when you're going from so many different things from whether they're work or social commitments, you, that's just exhausting. You know, it's a completely, 
you know, it, it's misaligned to, to what we're here to do when it comes to the, the, the sense of ease that most of us are seeking and wanting to connect to most of the time. We're blocking ourselves by creating these ridiculous routines. Totally. And it's, I've spoken about this a lot on the podcast, but it's this thing of like, especially as someone who's creative, for instance, like if I need to write a comedy show, I need to take time off from everything else and Mm. just concentrate on trying to write the comedy. But because of this immediacy of like social media, of hot takes, of like immediate content, we forget that like people who write books, people who do paintings, people who do anything, anything creative, no matter what form it is, you can't just do that in like a half an hour time slot that you've blocked out and then come back to it tomorrow like that's not really how creativity works it needs room to breathe space it might need you staring at a wall for an hour to come up with something or walking through the middle of London the other day I got I had a meeting and then I just went on my own that's when I thought of you I went on my own and I had a Mm. coffee um in Christopher's place wherever it is like down past Bond Street and I remember we'd gone for lunch and I just sat and I watched these women talking for ages and then I was like writing poems on my phone and I was like, oh God, we need this like stillness and actual, not boredom, but like a lack of um, direction sometimes I think in order for your brain to wander, in order for you to create. But if mm-hmm. we keep putting like such an onus on busyness, then you never get that space and then you'll actually, you kind of never do anything. So you'll keep up the like certain pr- productivity side of things that you have to do so you can keep the ball rolling but you'll never have like a big creative breakthrough, I don't think. And that's kind of what was happening to me. I was like so focused on making my life this busy nine to five, making me be productive that I wasn't actually creating anything at all. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting self-reflection. But I think, have you ever wondered like where you got that from or where you learned it from? Because I feel like a big role for me that that's, uh, that's come from my mother a lot. She's always said, you need to be busy. You need to be busy since I was younger. You know, when it came to like summer camps or whatever, it was always about keeping me busy. Even when it was out of my, you know, I didn't really have a say <laughs> as a child because it was like about having activities and going to camps and staying active as a child. So where do you think you learned that yourself? I think it's definitely part from that because I think my mum always used to be like, oh, you're late, like, call me lazy. Not in a mean way, but just because Mm. I would want to like chill. And she Mm. would see being, because she, her family, she was brought up like from not a very well family and they would have to be like constantly doing chores and helping out around the house. And like me not being busy to her was like a sign of, she'd never had that luxury. And so it was quite, I think, confusing for her if we just wanted to like watch TV. It would like went against, she's always busy, my mum. She's constantly like cleaning. She can't sit down. She just can't sit down at all um, mm-hmm. because she, her brain has been so wired to be like making sure you're doing everything. Like the idea of like sitting down and not doing something for half an hour really confuses her. <laughs> she like still to this day. So I think that's part of it. But I also think it's the culture of like any kind of program you watch with anyone successful, everyone's like rushing around. Or if you read a book, they're like so booked and busy and they haven't got a minute and they're hopping on a flight to a plane to whatever. And so I sort of characterize success as being this busy ideal. Whereas I guess if I'd grown up years ago when people were artists lying around eating grapes, I don't know what they were doing, but (laughs) I imagine (laughs) you would have a much, a very different, like, like back in the ancient Greek times when they really like loved laying around and luxury and leisure. We've like lost all sense of leisure as being like a valid use of time, I think. Very good way to phrase it. I do think we've, we've taken it for granted now, you know, like also what the self-care practice really is. Like, are we, 
what are we doing it for? Is it also just become part of our routine or is it something that we're really fully enjoying in itself? You know, because I feel like even now people are, are taking their whole fitness um, approach to life as well as just like, are you squeezing that hour to train instead of enjoying it as part of our, you know, what we need to give ourselves sometimes? Like, what about the busyness that comes with our own um, self-care routine in itself like why is that not overlooked why is that not considered as part of the work yeah I agree it's funny it's, it's like once I when I obviously used to be more fitness related on Instagram it kind of ruined it for me and now that I don't talk about it I love going to the gym because it's it is it's for me again and I do it when I want to do it and it's not got um not an ulterior motive, but it's kind of like, it is just for me. And I feel like so many things we accidentally commodify, even if you're not like an influencer, even if it's that like every time you go to a yoga class, you put a story up of it. I do think it does something to your brain and how you're interacting with those things. Um, If you're kind of, if your natural inclination is to kind of like snap, like put a pitch. I try not to do that, especially in social things now. I try not to take stories and stuff as much as I used to always do it and then I'd be like actually that's weird because what what's like my motivation here and like how does it change my experience of it if I'm seeing it kind of through my camera lens rather than actually experience that in that moment or that conversation Mm, definitely it is very powerful because I've also like recently gone through um I think when, when you're in the world of content and that's something that I used to give a lot of importance to as well And recently I've just become more of an observer where I use it as a tool to learn and post when I feel like it. But I used to also get very religious about like how much, how active I needed to be, you know, to, to engage. And I think now it's gone to a point where it's like, if you really, when you reflect on the intention of what you're posting and what for, then I think it creates a whole different feel too around, you know, why, what it is that we're trying to to inspire through the content because I think before I would feel like I needed to always just show up and I think that created this unnecessary pressure too on like how much I was doing that actually didn't mean that much in in the moment you know like it was present things that were for me not necessary for me to share and someone told me this the other day because like I didn't think about it before where I was like she was like, I do, I always post for other people. It's not for me. It's for other people, you know? And she was, she's not an influencer or anything at all, but she was like, that's what is, this is about other people. It's always about other people. What's your perspective so, on that? That's so interesting. The showing up thing has been a massive thing for me where I would think that part of my role was again, like I owed it to these people to be posting certain things throughout my day, whatever. And now I've got to the point where I'm like, actually, I don't want to come to my page and share something unless I'm like something I really want to share. So whether it's a book review or it's like an outfit I wore, even if it's something that's not like important, I'm not going to like take time out of my day to falsify something. And that's taken a lot to switch my mind because a lot of your value, especially when you're online, it feels like if you're not there, then you don't exist. And it can kind of especially mm-hmm. since I've done it for so long, it was a really hard cord to cut. But when I did it, I now find it really hard to show up unless I really want to, which is an amazing boundary. And also it means that the work that I do, the things that I come through are coming at me um, in a better way because it's that thing of like, you get what you put out. So if you were putting something out that you actually never really intended to do, or you're only doing it for the sake of it or whatever, you attract then something on that wavelength. And I found that the more boundary down with my work, 
weirdly, the more valuable the things that come to me are because um, because it means more, because it's less flippant, because it's it's exactly what you said in the message about like being an agent of. It's kind of like instead of allowing yourself to be sucked up and um, doing things because that's what you think you have to do, be the hamster on the wheel constantly running all day sometimes mm-hmm. you can take a different path and it serves you more of course I agree with what that person said to you like every time we put something online there's the element that we're sharing it and we're giving it to others and it is for a sense of whether it's to better your work or whether it's to share something you've learned or whether it's whatever it is it's not going into a vacuum that's hidden you know people are going to see it but I think that the the way that that work has been created in the time offline can be different if the design if it's like um am I making any sense in that answer yeah, I I mean, I guess what you're getting at that it's like, what how I'm interpreting your answer, it's like, this is an act, it's an active conversation, you know, so like, there's still, there's still something very powerful in, in sharing for others and seeing how they respond. And I think like a big part of how you and how I've seen you evolve from going from the personal trainer to Anoni as her in her essence you know through everything that you do and everything that inspires you and how you've like reinvented yourself in many ways is a natural cycle of who you are and I think in many ways like your content what I've seen and how I've seen you evolve is just part of what where your growth is you know and that's the most authentic way to build to do this type of thing and to and to and to see who responds to that because if anything like there usually isn't an expectation for some people there is but I feel for like the nature of what you've built and how I've seen you develop that has always been like wow like this is the response to what I care about and what I want to share with the world so in many ways I I think like yeah I understand what you mean I think and and sorry I know I've cut it's been over now so I will wrap it up soon but I think <laughs> And I'm sure you'll have found this with your work, but it is amazing when that happens, when sometimes you take a leap of faith or sometimes you do something, whether it's setting up your coaching or doing something that really feels like this is such a risk. And with anything like that, it is always a risk. But all you need is one person, that first client to be like, I want to work with you or that first person to say, you know, I want to share this thing that you've done. And then it kind of, once you, it's exactly what you talk about with your coaching, but once you kind of allow yourself to believe that that can happen again, it may take years, like, like you said with your coaching, it's the same with me. It took years for me to fall into step with this and even have it as like a viable career to, to live off, really. There was like, at the beginning, I really wasn't making enough money and there was so many times when I almost quit. Mm-hmm. Um, but every single time I've made a risk, especially every time I've said no to a really big thing, like whether it's like a really big brand deal or like someone wanted me to write a book and they feel like such big things to say no to, it's always the no's that I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm so glad I said no because then this thing happened. And so I guess it's always about staying true to yourself and trying to keep, as you speak about a lot, like keep with that inner voice and trust that intuition over the thing that you think is going to kind of serve you really quickly. Let Mm -hmm. that kind of be your guide. Always. Absolutely. And I think like for anybody who might be content creators too, like the biggest thing that I've learned and for me, although I'm not overly active in Instagram, it's a big part of what I love to do and talk about when it comes to what I'm building. There is um, many things I do that are related to building content. Like right now, I'm very much part of a mental fitness game that I'm helping launch and building partnerships for because it's it's a platform that I think could really help serve the the neuro performance of a lot of people and it's just crazy because since I moved back to Madrid that was a perfect opportunity that I wanted 
to that I was trying to find. And it's taken me a pandemic and two and a half years for it to show up. And it was exactly what I was looking for without knowing it at the time, because I was just trying to find an aligned partner of like, how can I really help build something with all the skills that I have um, and leverage off a platform, you know? And so many things happened in between that I also had to say no to and had to rethink. A lot of opportunities came my way that were asking me to come back to London, but I just knew that I needed to stay here and I knew I needed to like continue building, even though I was going through a lot of cycles too, where I was a bit concerned about how I was going to make the business work because there was so much I needed to refine in the, in the content and the courses and in the partnerships I was doing as well to, to continue building on the knowledge and being able to share this type of work with the right people. And so I totally agree with you. Like we have to be selective and follow our intuition always in this growth process, especially when it comes to, you know, content driven models. Completely. And I'm so glad that that came your way in the end. I feel like it's always that it's always normally when you're feeling like you're at a breaking point and that that whatever it is, isn't going to happen. And then suddenly like a crack in the clouds, it comes through and you're like, Oh my God, thank the Lord that that's happened. Um, I've loved talking to you so much. I'm sorry that I've kept you for so long. Um, absolutely but, not my lady it flew by it feels like 10 minutes <laughs> I know it, it does feel like 10 minutes if you want to point people in the direction of your work or is there anything you want to share where should we be coming to find you how can people get a hold of you is there anything you want people to look at etc you guys can find me on Christina Lopez on Instagram and if you want to trial some awesome mind games as part of your mental fitness program, you can also find me on cognifit.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been so nice to catch up, but we'll have to do a proper non-recorded catch up as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait to see your face. Thank you so much for having me, my love. It's been a pleasure and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and thank you everyone for listening. Bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.